I never thought about how until I was here. Having got here, it suits me in, in many ways. It is a little on the, on the edge of things. I think even its natives would say that. A cut price crowd, urban yet simple, dwelling where only salesmen and relations come. And across there, over the estuary of the Humber, is Yorkshire, and you can just see Hull where Philip Larkin lives. It's a place of thunder, clouds, dark red brick Georgian streets where they survive, and steeples and domes. And beyond Hull was the North Sea. If anywhere's the end of England and the end of land, it's Hull and beyond Hull. Welcome to the podcast. It's a podcast about the culture of Hull, what we do and who we are. Astronauts report it feels good, T minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Welcome back. That famous piece of audio there, of course, the countdown to the launch of the Apollo 11 mission, which happened, if you listen to this on Tuesday, happened 50 years ago today, the 16th of July, 1969. And this is a very special episode of the podcast. It's our 10th episode. And we've done something a little bit special for this one. Um, We've done a live interview, uh, which took place at Hull Truck uh, a few days ago, with multi-award-winning local comedian, Mr. Jack Gledo. The sound you can hear in the background there, that is the real people who turned up to, to witness uh, the conversation I had with Jack, and it was great. I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, massive thanks to him for doing it. That's coming up in a little bit. But before that, I had a chat with Alice and Jess from She Productions, another of Hull's Ace Theatre companies, who are staging the very first She Fest up at the ERT in Beverly. It's happening right now. This chat wasn't live. Uh, well... It was when we did it, obviously. We were there, uh, doing it, in the moment. Um, And we spoke about the formation of the company, the productions that they've staged so far, their ambitions for the future, and of course, SheFest itself. Have a listen, see you in a bit. So we're here, in my sort of back room, which is just one big room, really, and um, (laughs) surrounded by all my kelt. (laughs) <laughs> and um, it's a very nice kelp <laughs> thank you very much yeah but I'm, I'm very proud of this table I love this table yeah I got it off uh, Facebook Marketplace 125 quid including the chairs nice. for the benefit <laughs> of the listeners this is a beautiful wooden <laughs> table it's alright isn't it I'm really pleased with this it's um, very sturdy very good <laughs> All tables should be sturdy if nothing else. Yeah, that's what we look for in a table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
smooth as well, which is nice. I think I think they must have sanded it because it was like in a family home, so there's probably all sorts oh, of jam and fingerprints yeah. and stuff. So they've done it, given it a bit of a sand, but it is very nice. Very nice. Right, so we are here, and we've got Alice and Jess, and we're here to talk about, well, She Productions as a thing, but also a very special event you've got coming up called She Fest. Tell us about where the idea came from, and what your preparations are going like, and what's going to be happening, because it's really ambitious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, but why not? Well, yeah, I think we, I think I've said this before, I think it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit less than that. We kind of said, you know, we had started an initiative that was called our Feminist Fridays, which was all about kind of talking about the amazing local women that we have in the area and how, you know, we know about a few, but then there's so many more people that you just don't even know about. And like, we were just like, oh gosh, how can we tell the world about them? How can we make it a celebration? Oh, I know, let's start a festival. That'll be easy. <laughs> we just felt that there's so much on offer and we, yeah. we very much didn't want it to be ever that as as well female or any theatre companies that we're in competition with other mm. other mm. artists we really wanted to make it that we're all collaborating and that everyone gets to know each other as well because I think you can easily be in an area and not actually know people that are on your doorstep but mm. that actually some great work could come out of that creatively um, and I think we all also knew people who have other sorts of businesses um, jewellery artists yoga all sorts and it just thought we just had these two weeks in July and thought why don't we just fill it with all things female <laughs> but also to get as many people through the door of the theatre as possible mm. yeah. it's a terrific theatre I mean the the bar and the cafe in the back is it's a real pleasure to sort of be in there yeah. before a show or just during the week is it quite busy during the week I think they do pretty well don't they yeah, I think it is actually mm. yeah it's it's definitely and like every sort of year it builds and builds and builds and I think it's just that community spirit as well that people sort of go and then they realise that a lot of it is run by volunteers that they just go oh, I'm going to come back again because I like the vibe of the place and, mm. and they've just got so much going on like they've got the wall at the minute which has got an amazing painting on you know you can sit outside it's just a real nice chill vibe that mm. I really like about that place. yeah and I think the cafe is quite popular as well mm. um, Matt the chef there does really different foods and he always has a special and I think it's really nice as well because the special sells out you know it really <laughs> is limited <laughs> and somehow that just makes it all the better the fact that you know it's gone when it's gone it's gone yeah um, and so the cafe definitely attracts people I think the more people you talk to as well like when we first started out doing things we'd have to point the theatre out and people would be like where is it um, but now a lot more people are sort of engaged with it and they realise it's there, it's on their doorstep. You know, mm. for a lot of people that do live in Beverly Centre, it's it's something really nice. Like you said, they can just walk to it. You know? Yeah. They yeah. can just get a drink from, from, you know, the bar, chill out and then just walk home at the end of the night. And really. I think however cringy it sounds, it is a, it's a family environment there. That's not cringy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, like, um, but it, it is, I think, I think people are so welcoming that once you've been in there, once you really feel oh, we'll definitely be back because we mm. just like the vibe here, we like the environment. Mm. Um, um, you're going to fill it with wonderful and magical things. Give us some. <laughs> give us a taster of the sort of things you're going to be... Um, we've got quite a lot, actually. We've got an art exhibition, which is called Interconnected, and that runs from the 8th. And it's a lot of local artists. It's run by Emma Garnis, and she's, um, if you go on our social media, she's just painted an amazing set 
which is going to be like our backdrop for this evenings that we're having. And like, oh my goodness, it's just such a great picture. Is that on your Twitter? It is. What's, what's your Twitter handle? Um, it is... At Production She. There you go. <laughs> I always say the wrong way around. <laughs> and um, her exhibition that will be running for the whole time, and that's mm. free. Mm-hmm. So you can just walk in mm-hmm. um, and it will be displayed in the main cafe, but also in the club room, which is just off the cafe. Okay. So people can just come in and out throughout the two weeks and look at her work. And uh, give me some of your personal highlights. Oh, oh gosh, definitely um, Lois. Lois Mills show, Weirder. It's, oh my goodness, we've seen clips of it and she's she's absolutely hilarious. I don't know why more people don't know about her. I know you know about her, Matt, because I was mm. like, we need a comedian, do you know anyone? <laughs> um, and you were like, yeah. Totally she's unique, isn't she? She's great. She's, yeah. We've been on the radio with her a couple of times as well. She's so quick and I'm like, oh, but she's funny, isn't she? She's, so, well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she is, I, I, she's not going to be to everybody's taste, but no, they're the sort of comics that I like. Yeah, I do. That they're a bit different, and they almost dare to dare to be different. And dare it's to high say, risk, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. But I think it pays off. Maybe she's marmite. We'll see, won't we? But um, I think comedians like that. It pays off because people either love them. It's not just sort of yeah, she's all right. I think people will think she's <laughs> great or. Um, well, hopefully they'll all think she's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, she's going to be part of our she evenings. Mm-hmm. So four ca- cabaret style evenings with different acts on each night, and she'll be part of that. So that's another way where you can get to see her, but also get to see three other completely different genres. Of- that sounds good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're happening on how many of those? There will are four we take of those. So yeah. from Wednesday the seventeenth to Saturday the twentieth. Yeah. Each evening, um, and we've got all sorts from. Uh, we've got a pole performance with also mm-hmm. a live singer. Um, we've got at the same time. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. I know. I'm really. I'm, I'm actually really, really excited for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's so much on over quite a long period of time. So it's over a week, is it? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to get people kind of dipping in, sort of dipping their toes and coming back later. Oh yeah, completely. And that's what we're kind of encouraging. We're not saying like you know you have to go to everything i mean we'd love that if you did but we understand that one money not everyone can Mm. two um you know some people might not want to go see everything but there might be specific things that they choose and they're like oh yeah i really want to see that yeah so but we have got haven't we we've got a really clear schedule because i think Mm -hmm. that again when something's on for a a couple of weeks you can maybe find it it can be a bit overwhelming Mm. as to what's on when so we have got a schedule um that you can also find on our social media yeah where it says exactly when everything's on fantastic so you, you've sort of told us about the origins of, of where this festival came from. It's fantastic. But why do you think it's, it's an important event to have? I think for me, I think both men and women suffer from this. But in particular, in my experience, women are really bad at shouting from the hills about themselves and saying, I've done this, I've achieved this. I mean, me personally, I'd be like, oh, I've done this. And I don't really want to say much about it. And I think... For us to be able to do that for women is really important, especially the the sort of acts that we've got and things like that. We've kind of sought them out and gone, would you be interested? They said, yeah, that's great. And I think there is such a big movement at the minute, you know, obviously with the feminist movement and things like that. And I think feminism can be a scary word for some people. And they think it means, you know, that women want to take over and that men disappear into the background, which is not true at all. We just want a little bit of equality. And I think if we can add to that you know kind of in some way that'd be really really great and it feels celebratory rather than yeah. so it's not hectoring or it's not like no. a series of lectures or anything like that oh gosh um, yeah, it's no. just it feels like this is just fun celebrating that's the idea celebrating but also really importantly welcoming everyone in yeah it's mm-hmm. absolutely not 
just for women or, yeah. any, or female identifying. Yeah. You know, and again, like you said about feminism, I think it's a misconception that feminism is for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's for everyone. Yeah. And we have had that question, a few people have been like, oh, can men actually come? And we're like, of course they can, why can't mm. men come and celebrate women as well? Mm. But I can understand it, if everything's kind of women this, women this, yeah. they might sort of look at it and go, oh, I'm not sure about that. But I think it's really important for us that we spread that message as well, that yes, you can come, yes, you can come and enjoy it, yes, you can celebrate women, that's what it's all about. It's not saying... This is exclusively for women. Everyone else can chuff off. Mm. It's just saying, let's all just do this together, basically. Yeah. I think there are lots of opportunities to celebrate, you know, men's work, and there still needs to be more. But in, in terms of things like LGBT and things like that, but like, I just think it's nice to be able to celebrate women. For yeah. Us. And also, there's a thing about getting people together physically in the same place because part of the problem with the sort of arguments and the this crap that goes on on social media is the fact that people are not face to face and there's not that kind of control mm-hmm. where you're not where you would if you were with people mm-hmm. and it's so easy to kind of misconstrue what people are saying oh, whereas when you get I think I've been thinking a lot about it I think it's because you can't see the other person you're mm-hmm. not in the same yeah. space as and them. some people therefore loot will completely lose any empathy or any almost like they forget that it's a real person at the other end of that and the filter's gone, mm. I always feel, with, with online mm. stuff. It's, people say it's literally like the thought comes into the head and they're straight out. And I think that's, like you say, it's toxic. Mm. You, you're both founding members of She, is that right? Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit, let's go back to the start of, of She Productions and how it started and, and why. Oh, gosh. Well, I technically am a founding member, but minus six months, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was back in 2015. Um, and we all got together initially, just a, a, a load of us local actors we were actually Annie and I were living in London at the time um, and we'd been meeting on a regular basis just because we wanted to do something mm-hmm. um, then the theatre opened and we decided to do um, a performance of the vagina monologues and we raised money for whole rape crisis and then from that really the core group of us that were in that just said let's just do some more stuff um, the theatre at that time wanted to encourage younger generations in so they said will you put on a family show for us mm-hmm. so Annie and I said yeah, okay, we'll write something. So we did that. And then. What was that called, that show? Um, the Three Kingdoms. Oh, was, now I saw the one. Storytellers. Storytellers, that's yeah, the one I saw. That was yeah. the, that that's was that's prequel. Oh, that's the prequel. <laughs> right. We're going for a real Star Wars feel about okay. the kids. Yeah. <laughs> the third one is to come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, so the first one we wrote was The Three Kingdoms. Um, and prior to that, though, we did Beverly Does Broadway as mm-hmm. a fundraiser. It was supposed to just be a fundraiser yeah. for The Three Kingdoms, but ended up being a bit more of a show itself. And at that point, that's when Alice mm-hmm. got, was, became on board. I had a phone call from Miss Annie Kirkman, who, who I used to go to Hull Truck Youth Theatre with. Oh, I see. Up Hull Truck Youth Theatre. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, you can sing, I think. <laughs> I've not seen you dance, but you might be all right. She regretted that. <laughs> um, and she was like, do you want to join? And I was like, yes, I'd love to do Beverly Hills Broadway. Then you got me involved in the summer show. And then I got a really nice chat where it was like, do you want to be part of the company? And I cried. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> There's something about, we were talking about theatre as opposed to sort of TV and stuff. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to form a team, you know, yeah, if you're making it, even yeah. if it's just one show or a company, yeah. you're forming a little family. Um, and and that yeah it is it's it's a great thing to be part of. I, I don't it. think there's anything like it. No, like I when you, say, yeah, yeah, when you're in a when you cast and you just become a little family and then yeah, because you just have to you trust each other and just become that so quickly, don't you? Mm. And then um, I I think I, I suppose people might slightly compare sports teams, but I still think yeah. there's nothing like when you're in a 
a play with someone. From looking at, so obviously the hypocrite, I think that cast in particular, looking from the outside, looked like you guys just completely had an amazing yeah, time. Yeah, we absolutely did. Yeah, there's one marriage. I know. There's uh, Andy and Sarah are still together. Yeah. We've still got a WhatsApp group. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. still, you know. Uh, Sarah Middleton has named some of her plants after <laughs> after Mark Addy and Caroline Quentin and I think there's a big plant or a big runner bean that's named after Martin Barris I think oh there you go runner bean Martin Barris it's a, it's a brilliant thing because mm-hmm. um, it can be sort of lonely being an actor because you're just a gun fire half the time yeah. it's nice as well just as an actor to have the girls to go oh I've got this audition help or I've had this email I'm not sure how to respond to it and we usually have like a little power hour and it's usually me asking the questions and Annie no. and Jess are like you no, could I say that I think we all I think we all but it is and we want to extend that a little bit especially if we can with GFest the idea of you know especially young actors which are coming through which I still consider myself as you know coming through but just that kind of thing that if they're unsure of how to sort their CV out how it looks you know and things like that just being able to form a community where yeah. we can ask those questions I of people yeah. yeah I don't think especially when I was starting to put things like that together I had absolutely no clue mm. and I just needed someone mm. to ask and luckily I found you know those people to ask but I think for some people they're just it's very lonely Mm. And things like headshots, knowing who to go to, what looks you need, what mm. what's my casting, mm. you know, what does my voice sound like? I remember filling out my spotlight form and being like, oh, I don't bloody know what my oh, voice sounds ridiculous. like. <laughs> no, yeah. nobody. I'm not, <laughs> everything's they sound warm, don't they? Nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody says, oh, cold and bitter. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I sound warm and chocolatey. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not in any any sort of company, but I know a lot of the companies in Hull, and they all seem pretty supportive of each other. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I, really I found. Like. Yeah, I really like that about this kind of area. It just feels really, like you say, really supportive, and particularly, you know, some of the things that Middle Child, like they've put on workshops for mm. actors, and they offer their space and things like that. I just think that's really good. I mean, for us... As part of She Fest, we're actually collaborating with the Roaring Girls oh, to put fine. on. Um, we're calling it She Rolls, another pun. <laughs> um, and it's just basically a networking event on the Saturday. It's five thirty till yeah. seven thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's just for people to come and meet each other and and just sort of say, "I'm here if you need this. I'm you know here." Particularly, we're going to have a business card, um, like notice board as well throughout the festival. So, and I'm not just talking about um, performing arts or anything like that. So anyone can just, you know, I'm a female plumber, stick it on there. So if someone mm. needs a plumber, they can check the board out and kind of take those kind of details and things like yeah, that. Yeah, because that's something we've got in the interval as one of the she evenings. We've got some different stalls. Okay. Um, that means <clears throat> the public can browse and see some of the local work that's on and buy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the board with the business cards is a really great way of just making yeah. people known in the area. Um, going back to the story of, of She, have, have we reached, um, it's different for girls, yeah? Um, when, did, when, did that, when was that ooh, idea born? That idea, so after we'd done The Three Kingdoms, yeah. I think it, it was around that time because then um, the following year, 2016, that was when we did The Storytellers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was all around that time. Mm-hmm. That we got the book, wasn't it? The it's yeah. Different for girls book. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. So, so there was a book of the story of the band. So one of girlfriend. the band members. Uh, oh no, two of the band members mm. have actually written a book about their experience. Tell us the story, just in case, because I, I sort of know the story, because and I've seen the, the show. But tell us the uh, tell us the story. Of, of <laughs> girlfriend. Okay. Well, I think it's a, another amazing thing that's not 
why it's not widely known, we don't know. Um, but they were actually the first girl band, and they're from Hull. Uh, and the amazing thing is they would always say that they were a band, a proper band, because they played instruments. Um, and I think the story was they saw the advert in the mm. paper, and it was Hillary and... Leslie and they didn't actually play instruments at the time mm -hmm. but they saw this advert to be in a band with Mandy who was a, a singer at that point so they just said let's learn so Leslie just learned <laughs> the bass uh, Hillary just learned the drums mm -hmm. um, and then they were in the band and then um, Linda who's also from they're all from here um, she was a backing singer yeah first, with Karen she? as well who was um, on the organ. and then Karen who played the keys and they were they toured they went they took Germany didn't they went around mm -hmm. the army bases and they were they were a big deal um, but for some unknown reason they're not as famous as you might think given no. given that their achievements are incredible really amazing women just the fact that they just picked up instruments like they were all sort of 15 16 saw an advert went right we're sick of being groupies watching you know mm. the men rock it out we're going to do it as well and I think um, it, it really struck a chord with us because mm. at that time um, we were pretty yeah. much just starting out and I think that the idea that they just got together and said let's do this mm. and we similarly got together and said let's make some work that we we saw those parallels didn't we? Yeah and we met them and it just clicked so yeah. they were absolutely hilarious. They said as well that it's helped bring them all back in touch because I think yeah. that some of them had maybe drifted a mm. little bit and I think having something about them mm. really made them all contact each other that's lovely yeah, them yeah. And what's fascinating is they kind of stopped well they became a little bit like the sugar babes mm. in that they replaced a few members as people kind of drifted off mm -hmm. um but a lot of them had to stop either because they got married so it meant they couldn't be in the band or they had to you know do proper jobs as it you know it was considered in those days and i think when you look at what was happening then, it's very typical of the time, you know, the idea that as soon as a woman got married, that she had to stop everything else and become a mother and a wife. And, and it's nice to be able to kind of see, you know, that we've got so far now, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but that things like that aren't really an issue anymore. Mm. And it's funny because you talk to them and there's such a wealth of knowledge and experience and they're an inspiration, really. Like Linda in particular, one of the backing singers, she... Um, writes a lot women of words that are oh, at yeah. Cardoma. She's a big part of that. She's taken shows to Edinburgh. She's you know and, it, and Leslie, who was the bassist, she still she gigs. She still gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah she still, still gigs with her husband country, yeah. Oliver. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So that instrument she just picked up and learnt to be in a band has now, I think, been her life's worth of work. Which wow. Is... And then what when you cared to tell their story, how did that sort of develop? Yeah. So we did a scratch actually. Was that in twenty sixteen? It was, wasn't it? which was part of Heads Up Festival. Mm -hmm. And that was literally yeah. like half an hour, if that. And we sort yeah. of said, oh, okay, people are kind of connecting with the story. Then yeah, we did to test out, see yeah. you know, see whether it would work, see whether bits we'd worked on um, mm -hmm. sat well in front of an audience. And obviously we had as many of the girlfriends there as we could. Mm -hmm. um, the reason, Man I just want to say, going to say the reason Mandy isn't involved is because mm -hmm. um, she now lives in Barbados. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, there was talk of going out there and... <laughs> She keep all the money, you're like, see ya. <laughs> Rock and roll stories. And then we went on to kind of write a first draft or a first version of the show, which, you know, we said was a musical. Because it is, it's got lots of, like, um, 60s covers and original music in there. So that was in 2017 as mm -hmm. part of 
um, the big city of culture and that kind of thing. Because you write together as, as a group. Yeah, it's, it's actually, you'd think it wouldn't work, but we all sort of go, right, you write this scene, you write this scene, we come together and go, right, now we need to make it sound like it's got one voice, because, oh God, you've seen things where it sounds like, well, it sounds like different people have written different things. Yeah. So we do that, and then we sort of go through it all, make sure it kind of sounds fair, kind of send it out to drama tags and kind of go... Oh, you got a drama tag. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well, especially for the next version of it. So we did we took it on tour last year, kind of in the north and to some great venues like Live and Newcastle and things like that. And then we've got um, Helen Monks now, which is a drama oh, yeah. tag, just kind of looking at it and going, yeah, this really works. It's really interesting and I really love having someone else look at your work. Yeah. Because they go, oh, God, no, you need to pull that there and put it at the front or do this and do that. And you're like, I didn't even think about that. Maybe we're just explaining to... Oh, yeah, of course, just, yeah. Because I didn't really understand what dramaturgy was for a long time. No. It's, it's like a European thing. Well, yeah. But it's starting to, in, it, well, it's well established in, in Britain now, mm. but it's kind of, it's like a consultancy sort of thing. Mm. Would you describe it as? I feel like it is. And I'm on the same boat. It wasn't until about a year ago that I even knew it was. And you hear people talking about it and you like want to fit in and you go, oh, yeah, 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 dramaturg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you said people write it on their CV <laughs> and they're a dramaturg. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, I know what that is. And it wasn't until I was like, the drama tech <laughs> and basically how she kind of explained it to me was that it's it is that kind of overseer someone who can is an outside eye to your work who can look at it and really kind of look at it with a critical mm. eye in terms of like that doesn't work that doesn't land that's not funny maybe this can be shaped and I don't necessarily think you have to take the word as God mm. but I think it is very helpful to have someone like that but I don't know that is a good explanation I think I'll use it myself if <laughs> It's an objective ear and eye, really, isn't it? Yeah, just and I think you need that, especially with it's different for girls, because we spent like two years solid on it. Yeah. And you kind of look at it and you know the context, you've done the research, so you know things which actually really aren't explicit in the text. And it's nice to just have someone go, I don't quite get that. Why, why does that? And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, you don't know that five years ago Linda did this, la, 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 la. So it is really good to have that, to have someone to be able to just pull it apart and put it back together again in a way that you both kind of go, yeah, this is going to work. And I suppose it's also probably something that people have always done and mm. always, because you always ask people to read your stuff, yeah. <laughs> and it's possibly also that it's just <laughs> now got very a title yeah. and mm. that you say, oh, yes, I'm using a dramaturg. But before... You would you just give it to probably as many people as you respected and trusted as you could mm. to get their feedback because sure. you always want that from your work, don't you? You always want mm. to know how it sits with other people, and again, it's up to you what you do with their opinion. Mm. But yeah. and it's really really helpful. I mean, the tour went really well. I mean, it was just really nice to see that a whole story works. You always think, oh, I don't know if the whole references are going to work somewhere else, and you'll know that. But um, and they do, and people, even if they don't know the specific street you're talking about, in their area they will have a street like that, and they can connect and go, oh yeah, that's like so-and-so, so-and-so area. I had somebody the other day that said, the more specific you make something, the more universal it becomes. Yeah, and yeah. that's interesting. It is interesting. I was like, wow. Because mm-hmm. you sort of, yeah, you think, oh no, I can't possibly mention this place. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and then people think, oh, do we have to change the names and make them, yeah. you know, somewhere in the area we go to but that's a really interesting point because that would suggest therefore no <laughs> but just that people will identify because they'll know the sort of place you're talking about and they'll know one yeah maybe it's because they start to imagine what that place looks yeah, like yeah. whereas if it's, you mentioned the high street you go well yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, and some place names have got they're beautiful like you go to Scotland and the, the way they spell and the way they sound you know they're fantastic mm-hmm. um, I think I'd rather have that than somewhere sort of more, more general but yeah it's, it seems a bit counterintuitive but 
I'll be thinking about that quite a lot yeah. from now, I think. Yeah, um, the guy was. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, will, you, will that go out again? Will you, will you Yeah, so we are, we are in R&D um, kind of developing it. We were, I mean, really, unfortunately and very sadly, our um, musical director, Paul Frankish, um, died recently. And it's, it's kind of was a big shock to the system, really, for us, because he was such a big part of the development. And like I say, he wrote some of the songs and he just was amazing. If you'd written a bass line to a song or just the very basic of it, he'd come in and just, just add so many different layers and make it sound brilliant. And he knew so much about like music and songs and he'd go, oh, yeah, that sounds a little bit like this. If we had these elements in, it would really sell. And it's for us, it was just really, really shocking and really sad. And we don't want to rush it. We think we could rush it and then it would be absolutely horrific and awful. And... Um, and it's just finding someone else that can, you know, be the musical director for us who will respect what Paul's done mm. and, you know, maybe take us in a slightly newer area, but then still be able to have those elements of the amazing things that Paul did. So, mm. yeah. But I, I saw something on your website. Mm-hmm. You've got something new coming up. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah we've started... Um, talking of space, we did it at Middle Child's Space, which was mm. great to have that space to use. Um, we're we're R and Ding an adaptation of the House of Bernarda Alba, the Lorca play, mm. setting it in a women's prison. Mm. So we've used the play is being used as a stimulus, if you like, rather than it's not going to be a direct. Mm. Um, we're not just taking the play and saying the lines, but yeah. in a prison. It's very much inspired by. Um, but it was so interesting. We've got Laura Turner, the writer, on board. She's writing it for us. Um, and Becky Hope Palmer as director. Fab. BHP. Yeah. And, and that week of R&D was such a fabulous week. It was just a week of discussing everything and anything around all of the themes of the play, the original play, and then what we want to get out of it for our version. Mm-hmm. And the more and more we looked closely at the original the more we realized how fortunately (laughs) how well it does translate to being set within the prison you know the idea that they're all in eight years of mourning for their father but they've got that sentence um and so many elements that we thought yes this 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 will work Mm -hmm. so it was quite an exciting week uh getting the spanish themes of it as well Mm -hmm. which was Great. So, so that's our next thing. It is. Wow. And I learnt a new word, duende. Do you know what duende means? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, Go on, Jess, you have to explain. <laughs> duende. Um, what doesn't duende mean? Um, it was actually, funnily enough, it was in our time on Radio 4 the other day, we were talking all about Lorca and the duende was all over it. Um, duende is like fire, spirit, magic. It's the heart of everything to do with Spanish plays and Spanish mm-hmm. um, vibrancy, I think, but spirit and fire would go together to wow. a good so there you go there. if you've got duende you're doing well <laughs> that's great every day is a duende <laughs> um, very good so that's that's in the pipeline any sort of looking further afield I mean you've got so much on your plates for now but you know in terms of the sort of dream bit of where you want to go what sort of things dreams have you got well we recently kind of looked back at the company and sort of Reevaluated what we were so we came up with the three kind of arms of the company so we've got she engages she inspires and she empowers empowers. oh that was close nearly (laughs) forgotten and it's kind of like the three arms of the company so she engages is all about our community outreach work we basically work with um, 
people that need confidence building, maybe they've come through us through the job centre and they just need to build those skills to get out there and look for jobs and feel confident. And it's often people maybe that have been struggling with mental health. We either do intensive or we do like um, a day a week for a couple of weeks. But the last one we did was really intensive and it was just for a week and at the end they kind of create something. Mm. And it was just fabulous, giving people the opportunity to be creative and yeah. use... And they came up with the idea of the whole yeah. thing was behind the mask. So we had them all with the sort of comedia style yeah. masks on. Um, and, you know, that was something that they came up with. None of them were actors or no. studied drama. But um, it's amazing, I think, what, what can happen when you say to somebody, you can be creative and you are going to be. So here you go, as you stage work with it. So that's one section. The next section, she inspires. I've been talking too much. You should share too much, Jess. <laughs> okay, she inspires. Um, is aimed at inspiring young people and getting that generation excited by and interested in theatre um, and that focuses mainly on our family shows that we've written and, and also each show is always accompanied by some workshops um, whether they're going into schools or whether they're at libraries um, that's our focus for the She Inspires and we've been able to develop well our links with the libraries both in Hull and Beverly that's how She Inspires and then the mm-hmm. final strand um, is the She Empowers <laughs> and that's our I don't know if I suppose main outlet for our original work that we want to empower everybody mm-hmm. so it's the idea that we um, engage the community inspire young people and empower everyone mm. one of the things we did this year is we started something called our young people's program which is very much to do with our family shows but we applied to the arts council and it basically means that we can afford to pay a young person to get their first sort of professional experience whether it's stage management whether it's being an actor directing any of those kind of things and then also it allows us to pay for childcare for mm-hmm. female or male actors to just take the pressure off because mm-hmm. we know we, we like to work with you know actors of all ages and the idea that someone may feel like they can't audition or they can't do something because they have to think about childcare is ridiculous to mm-hmm. us so. I mean that's that's going to people's radars I mean obviously not the people who've had to try and find the childcare because they've just kind of had yeah. to sort of somehow do that but um, and our equity, I think, have started to say, listen, you know, this is a problem. This is stopping mm-hmm. people doing stuff. How, how can we solve this? You know, there's, there's, there are places with money. Let's try and yeah. say, you know, just because you, you can't find a babysitter doesn't mean you have to miss out mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great that, that that's happening up here as well because it, it sort of seems, it seems like a bit of a London... Yeah, thing. I've seen a lot of casting directors on Twitter <clears throat> and things sort of saying, you can bring your kids, don't worry, mm. you know, I'm not going to be offended, blah, 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 blah. Sort of a reaction to maybe a couple of actors saying they've had an experience where they've not been allowed to audition because they haven't been able to get childcare. Yeah. But I think it's just, it's such a big part of being a woman. And we um, were just yeah. straight away, we were like, well, we can do this. Mm. We can ask the Arts Council, they can only say no. Yeah. I said yeah, so it was great. Just removing the barriers. Ah. And that means that we can <coughs> run the, the Young People's Project. It means that we can have four shows throughout yeah. the year, basically the, around the school holidays. But one, we, we started off with our Alice one at, lun- um, at lunchtime. At lunchtime. <laughs> at, um, what are you thinking about? <laughs> thinking about my lunch. Um, have, have a bacon tart. There were six here. <laughs> We still have plain chocolate digestive as well. That's the problem. Well. I'm looking there in my sideline. All I can think is lunch. So we started with the Easter one, and then um, we've got the summer one coming up, uh, the Three Kingdoms back from 2015. And then we've got a Christmas show, which is a new one for the first time. And then we've also got the Lightless Pumpkin, our Halloween mm-hmm. show. So I suppose in terms of longer-term goal, we'd really like to be able to apply for 
uh, that programme to run for, let's say, three years so that we don't have to be applying every year for that. Mm. It'd be really nice to know that we can keep that project ticking over and always have something on offer for young people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are incredibly busy. Um, we don't do it on purpose. We just go, let's do this, let's do this. Yeah. And then we sit down and go, oh, God. <laughs> well, shoot for the moon. Um, well, I wish you all the very best with it. And I'll, I'm going to see you down there at, at SheFest in Beverly. Is it all taking place around... The theatre? So um, everything is yeah. at the East Riding Theatre. Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. and you can get tickets and everything from the East Riding Theatre website. You can go on our website, which is www.sheproductions.co.uk to find out any more information or our social media. Um, yeah, we'd like this to continue, so we'd really like a, sort of as many people to come and support <laughs> it if they can. Because um, we'd really like to sort of make this an annual thing or maybe every two years if we can. Just the idea of just putting a festival on where we can just go, hey, women are great. This lovely piece of music is Grace Christiansen, who is a fantastic local musician and actress, and she'll be performing at the SheFest Sheevenings on Wednesday and Thursday, the 17th, 18th of this week, uh, July 2019, alongside other brilliant women from these parts. I went down there to watch Lois Mills last week, and it was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic. So uh, if you can, get yourself to Beverly for SheFest. But now... We go live to the upstairs bar at Hull Truck Theatre. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. I'm absolutely delighted that so many people have come. It's really fantastic. And it'll save me quite a bit of money um, sourcing and paying for crowd sound effects on the internet, um, which otherwise I would have had to do to uh, compensate for nobody being here. So I'm glad you're here. My name's Matt. I'm the host of the podcast, which is a podcast uh, named after Dead Bod. Um, you might recognise uh, that graphic. And it's basically a podcast about the culture of Hull, uh, what we do and who we are. And I interview and I speak to people who, who make Hull what it is. And um, tonight we've got a really fantastic guest, one of my favourite comedians who I think is going to be brilliant. So, without further ado, he's won a ton of awards already and he's gigging with some of the top acts at the best venues in the country. I think he's going to be in the Comedy Premier League very soon and you'll be seeing him on your screens as well as your stages. So please, give a big whole truck welcome to your very own Mr. Saturday Night on a Thursday, Mr. Jack Glado! Hello, Jack. Hi, mate. You all right? I'm very well. Yeah, good. You've come in costume. That was a very Phoenix Nights introduction. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's one of my favourite shows. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Daniel Kitson. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. He's he was shows here all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always sold out, aren't they? Yeah, unlike mine. Is it not sold out? <laughs> I just have to point out that uh, the, the blurb, if you saw the blurb on the internet about this interview tonight, it said, host Matt Sutton, that's me, will chat to Jack Gledo, that's you, about her return to the stand-up microphone. Now, I didn't know you'd been away. Um, <laughs> her phenomenal success as a comedian and writer 
uh, and how important Hull is to her in her work. So uh, how are you identifying these days, Jack? Um, are you pre, post, op? What's, what's going on down there? That was just because I think everyone here didn't realise I was a replacement because the clap when I came on was like, oh, shit, it's not Lucy Bob. Oh, <laughs> the elephant in the room there. Yeah, but thanks for doing it. No, it's a pleasure. It's, it's the pleasure's all mine. Um, let's start with your show first. It's called Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah. And that kind of sums up you and your sort of I guess comedy persona really. Mm. Tell us a little bit about how the show's developed and uh, or what made you want to do that. Uh, well, I want like do, when doing your first show is kind of like the big thing you do when you go up to like Edinburgh. It's kind of you you do like your ten minute sets, your twenty minute sets, and then you got to do your show. So I wanted to make it something that was because in my sets I always make it as like a little bit of a show in itself. So I just wanted to expand that and have a bit of a narrative within it. And a lot of people say my style's old school, so I thought, right, well, let's look at the old school comics and see if I can talk about them. Obviously, the type of old school comedy I'm doing isn't, like, racist or sexist. It's, <laughs> like, it's modern stuff. But <laughs> I thought I was going to lose a few people then. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's kind of... It's, it's about modern stuff, but done in this old style way, and I just wanted to talk about Saturday Night TV, how it used to be, and how... It's a bit shit now, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> comedians starting off when they're sort of doing their open spots, their five minutes or whatever, um, tens and then and their twenties. What's what's the difference between doing that sort of twenty-minute headliner set at a club somewhere as opposed to doing an actual full show? Was it quite an easy sort of transition for you? Uh, no, it's, it's it's a different. It's when you first start doing five minutes feels like doing an hour and then doing 10 minutes feels like doing even longer. So it was a big transition, but I found that I've enjoyed the hours more because you get better, you relax more into it, and you, you, like, you can enjoy the bits where people aren't laughing. Um, not saying it's all bits <laughs> where they're not laughing, but you can add, add a bit more of yourself into it and your personal, what, your actual opinions and stuff. It doesn't have to be a joke. You can say, no, look, this, this is about me, what I actually feel. And then people can kind of go, oh, okay, right, he's not just a silly man titting about. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realise that when you take a show to Edinburgh, that comedians, it's, normally you, you just go and do your set, your 20-minute set, but you've got a director for this show, haven't you? Is that Ian Smith yeah. is directing yeah. you. How was how it working with, with somebody, like an outside eye? It, it just allows you to kind of write the material, then he can come see the show and kind of say, well, that didn't really work, let's try it from a different angle. And he's kind of, some ideas I've come up with, he said, oh, it might work better like if you said it like this. And I've gone, oh, yeah, that's basically the joke. Right. But sometimes I go up to him with just an idea and he's like, well, it's not funny, is it? So he's made it funny on some bits. And then some, some bits I've gone, right, I think this is really funny. He disagrees and I'm still doing it anyway because I'm the one doing the show. So. Yeah. But it's good to have that advice. And it's just as many people who can give you an opinion as possible. Like I've spoke to you and Dan, who's here, about the show as well. And, uh, yeah, so it allows as many people that can come into it. Like, my brother's doing all the tech, and my dad's built loads of props for it and stuff. So it's kind of... I want as many people involved as possible so that it's not shit. So, so it feels more like a team sort of effort? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're the racing driver, but everybody else changes the yeah, tyres exactly. and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I saw the development of it. I, th I think if you've not seen it before, you're in for a really good night. It's a super show. And seeing Jack on stage is just a special thing, whatever he's doing anyway. Um, it's not your first time at Edinburgh. You went last year, but you've been going as a kind of, as a watcher, if, if that's not a weird yeah. way to put it. <laughs> sort of voyeur of comedy. Um, yeah, I first went in 2012. 
20, yeah, 2012. And then I wanted a comedian then. I just went as someone who was interested. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to do comedy now. Just seeing how it all worked and stuff. And then to go back and do spots and then eventually my own show, that was always the plan. Yeah. I didn't think it would take seven years, but that's how long it stuck. Yeah. It takes time, these things. Um, so last year you did a thing called the Pleasance... Com- Ple- the Pleasance is a really famous comedy venue. There's one in London, but there's a really famous uh, area. There's like, what, what venue is it? Number 33 it used to be, didn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, right. It's one of the big comedy and theatre venues at Edinburgh. So you did the Pleasance Comedy Reserve last year. So w- what is that? Is that if one of the comedians gets injured, you kind of come on and finish their set for them or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's like a... They, so they have a grant for like four new comics right. and they pay for them to go for the fringe for the month and just do a show, like 15 minute set. So it allowed me to not, because this year the fringe is costing me £11,000. Wow. So, so, and you get a bit of that back, but not, you don't really see, it's more of an investment, but last year it was all free. So. Yeah. And did that help you kind of get a feel for the performance at Edinburgh? Hmm. And was, was it as you expected? Yeah, some nights the audiences were a bit different because I'm just silly sometimes and stuff. Sometimes, oh, this isn't proper comedy. They wanted something with a story arc and some political or work stuff. I'm like, just, can we just laugh at like, yeah. a knob joke? Like, <laughs> it's, just the, it's just got to be a bit silly. Like, yeah. But some, some, some Edinburgh audiences don't like that. Um, so I like performing all because you, you can get away with most things. You can. Well, I saw your preview at Cardoma and it was absolutely packed and it did feel like being in a, a studio audience of a, of a like like an ITV Saturday night primetime yeah. comedy TV show so your, your audience here is absolutely kind of rock solid but obviously it's a bit more of a challenge kind of finding your audience up at Edinburgh for the reasons you've just sort of said um, you worried about that? Uh, yes um, in a, I am and I aren't because I think ultimately if, if people come and they don't like me they, they were never going to like me so there's no point in me trying to change my type of comedy to fit the Edinburgh. If I'm going up there changing everything I do, mm. then I'm not doing what's true to myself and what I believe is what's funny. So if I, if I go up there and say, right, I'll write this show and that'll get me to where I want to be in my career, mm. but it's not going to be from... I'm not going to enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas if I'm going up, if, if I get something, great. If I don't, don't, I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. Don't change for anyone. I think it's really important as a comedian to find your sort of comedy essence, mm. your, your sort of clown rather than just, it's not just about kind of spitting out gags is it no, no. Um, it's about finding your material that kind of meshes with your personality did you find that sort of straight away or did it take a little bit of time for you to sort of find that it took about five years I think right before because I've only been doing this the, the set that I do in the clubs has only been doing it for about three years now yeah um, but it took years to develop that it was it was just doing like 10 minute spots in pubs just I didn't really know what to do I didn't really know what to dress I, I used to wear massive snakeskin boots on stage <laughs> go, go on stage in my prom suit right. for my, my year, year 11 prom suit and I wore it for 10 years like <laughs> still even it went right there and I still wore it um, couldn't be bothered to get another suit so yeah like stuff like that I kind of like it was trying to develop the style how I looked how I sounded uh, I can't change this annoying voice but that like <laughs> It was in terms of finding my voice and what, what do I actually want to do? And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just do the type of comedy that I like, which is the old school stuff and silly silly comedy. I'm, I'm thinking people like uh, Freddie Starr. When Freddie Starr was... 
obviously that controversy side, whatever. It, when he was at his peak and he was just doing silly stuff mm. on like the Royal Variety performance, it was incredible. Mm. Uh, and then other comics that had material that went wouldn't be suitable now. But if you look at some of the ones that are suitable, like Norman Collier, some of Norman Collier's stuff was incredible and so alternative for mm. its day, definitely. Was it? I think so, because if, if you look back then, if he's doing the broken microphone thing... And that. I've gone for real. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he car window and stuff. Just no one was doing out like that. And yeah. he, he kind of, I think he was one of the main pioneers of the start of alternative stuff. And then, obviously, the political stuff all came after that. Yeah. I, said, I, I was been a bit... I, was, I think you'll go just fine at Edinburgh, but you, you've done your act around the country, at uh, plays at Leicester Comedy Festival as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like it's going to be a big surprise. It's not like going from Hull, wow, to Edinburgh, is it? So you, no. you know you've gone around the country and you've got a feel for different audiences. Yeah, I don't really gig in Hull much anymore. Like this year I've only done about two or three gigs because I don't want to... I want to make sure the show's half good before I take it. Like, I, I want it, the gigs I do in Hull, I want to be good. Yeah. So I want people to say, so like, oh. I thought, he's, I thought he was good at me, shit. So I, I want people to, I want to try and bring my best stuff. So this is, I thought I'll do good work in progress here and I'm coming back to Hull Truck in November to right. do the main room, so. Fantastic. Um, oh, wow, you're playing the main house? Yeah, so. And that'll suit you because that's a big, a big audience you can play to. Yeah, it's a gorgeous. It's just that I've seen like Russell Howard in there, Alan Carr. So it's, it's a huge room for, but for, for, it's very nice. It's huge, but it's intimate. I like the intimacy of it because it's kind of like a, a guess who board, really. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's a great room for, for comedy. But yeah, I, I'm really hoping that tickets are on sale in two weeks for that. So that I'm just going to push, try and, because that, that'll be like the culmination of like, Three, three, well, seven years work mm. since I started doing comedy, just playing in the venue that I always wanted to when I came and saw my idols when I was a kid. Speaking of great venues, you played Latitude to 3,500 people. Mm. What was that like? It was, it was odd because it don't feel like... Because you can't hear the audience that well because the stage is... The tent's, like, huge. Because I did Glastonbury last week, and that was a, the same size tent, but right. 200 people in. Not <laughs> quite the same as 3,500. But, um, so, but yeah, it, it, it was on screens outside, so it was like I was playing an arena and stuff. It, it was very odd, but it, I enjoy the bigger gigs because you can just relax into it a bit more, whereas if you can see someone's face and they're not enjoying it, you can yeah. just see someone staring at you, like, oh, God, I've got to try and make him laugh now. Yeah. There's, I guess with 3,000 people, there's going to be a percentage of people who are going to like that. So I guess it's more of an insurance policy. Mm. Did you find that? Yeah, because like every gig you do, there's going to be at least one person in the room that look like it. Sometimes it can be everyone. So I might go in that room tonight and it might be 90 people that don't like what I do, which is fair enough, but I'm still doing it for an hour. So. <laughs> yeah. but, um... They do lock the doors, by the way, so you can't go anywhere. <laughs> but like... Yeah, the law, the averages work out. If there's that many people there, the people that aren't enjoying it, well, mm. they just have to go in and bear it for the time it's on. But yeah, mo m most people will kind of like it. Cause, I mean, sometimes I watch, as I'm sure you do as well, those really big um, live at the Apollo gigs, and you see some of your favourite comedians, and they they have to sort of tweak their act because their their more intimate stuff doesn't really work because they've got a massive auditorium to kind of play to. Do, do, you, do you find you have to kind of be more selective with the material? Do you have to edit a little bit? Um, I don't. I think because I'm quite visual anyway, the minutiae of things people can kind of get. And I think if you can do something like small and you're in a big room, 
the the smaller it is, as long as everyone's engaged, everyone will get on board with it and stuff. Mm. If if there's talking and chatting, but sometimes in the comedy club, like if there's stags and hens, you're not going to get away with anything. Like <laughs> so, you've got to kind of be as expressive as possible to get everyone involved, really. Yeah. Um, what would you say was your toughest gig? Have you had any absolute nightmares? I don't want to kind of trigger you, but uh. <laughs> I'm on stage in 20 minutes. We're gonna yeah, I had one in a beer keller in Leeds. I think it was like three gigs in. Right. And it was a gong show. Um, for, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm sure you do, but that's where literally if they don't find you funny, they'll, they'll hit a gong and you have to leave the stage. Is that right? Yeah. Like the Frog and Bucket, they do that as well, don't they? Yeah. In Manchester, yeah. yeah. And the, the, this can be fun if you are good at them, but if you're <laughs> no rubbish. And this was my third gig, so I didn't have a clue what it was going to be like. So I... I walked on, I won't swear, but I walked on and someone called me the C word as soon as I said, he, he went, oh, here's another C. That was how, how I was entered to the stage. Wow. And I kind of just went, I, my response was, oh, F off, because that was the only way I could respond. But then everyone just turned on me and it was two minutes. I just was like, uh, mm, yeah, oh, chuckle, brother. Like, that's <laughs> all that I got out of my mouth. And then I yeah, got gonged off and I, I remember just crying in the toilets. And um, Jed Salisbury was me from he was there and he, he said it's if you want to do this this is going to happen you're going to be not every gig's going to be good you're going to have days where it's awful and, and you're not going to want to do it anymore and i did i had like three years where oh, I, don't, I still now i have gigs oh, do I, I don't want to do this but it's better than any other job in the world so mm. i'm complaining about going out to 50 people to do 20 minutes work if they don't enjoy it everyone's going to forget it one minute after you've entered this, left the stage. Mm. So you've kind of got to just grin and bear it. But them gigs are the ones that make you because you go back and do... Mm. I, I, I've done other gigs later on in my uh, career. career. Um, it is. That's what it is. And I've had that same... I've walked on and someone said the same thing to me like three years later, but because it's happened to me before, I knew how to deal with it and get everyone on side. So I, I enjoy it when something goes wrong because I know, okay... I, I know how to deal with that next time it goes wrong, yeah. Do you have pre-prepared heckled um, responses or, or do you find that if you just respond within a millisecond, sometimes the best stuff comes out or do you have like pre-prepared stuff? I don't really have, because to have prepared stuff, you'd have to be waiting for a heckle and I don't think you can really wait. So I kind of have, sometimes my brain thinks before I said it, so my brain will say something and I'm going, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> or I, so you kind of, in, in a way, yes, it is pre-prepared because it's subconscious. If it's happened before, your brain will know, oh, we know what we're doing now, we'll, we'll, we'll do this line. But not really, I don't really, there's, there's a lot of standard heckler put-downs that I don't really think are that good. But, so I just try and make it about the room and what's happened in the room. Yeah. But, um, I do like heckling, but not, um, not during a one-hour show. So. No. <laughs> I mean, some, some clubs have a policy, you know, the host will come on, they'll say, all right, no heckling. Yeah. We, you know, we got sort of new acts or whatever. Do, do you sort of say, do, do you have a little word and say, listen, you know, don't, don't make that apply to me? No, like, I think it's a general rule you shouldn't heckle. But I like the type of heckle where it's an unintentional heckle. So if someone's enjoying it, they'll say something, like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I And like, <laughs> so I like, I, that's really funny because that's something you can deal with. But if someone's just going, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what am I going to do with that? You're just no, exactly. chatting babble. Like. There's an art to heckling itself, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They should do heckling like comedy courses. They, sh they yeah. should. That's a good idea, yeah. Um, flipping it, what's your, what would be your dream gig? Have you, you visualised somewhere that you think, 
I want to be there one night doing with a mic in my hand doing that to that audience. Yeah, I want to do the Palladium. That's the main gig. Like that's always been the venue that I've got. Yeah, I've yeah. got to do the Palladium just because of the history and Sunday night at the London Palladium and Bruce Forsyth and everything. Yeah, it's an odd. Like most people, I just say oh, I want to do the Apollo, but I'm like no, I want to do the Palladium because I think it's just such a rich history of like. And I, I've I've made a rule to myself. I'll never go see a show at the venue unless I'm doing a gig there so right. I don't want to go until it might never happen <laughs> I'm probably never going to get booked but um, yeah it's something that I, that's one of my goals to even if it's just like a five minute spot or supporting someone and stuff yeah definitely the Palladium Speaking of Bruce Forsyth I know he was you know he was one of your big influences and we did a bit of filming in, in your house in your bedroom and I, you better explain that because that sounds a bit dodgy. <clears throat> well, if you if you stay in for the show, you'll see that. But yeah, uh, Jack invited me to his bedroom uh, to do a bit of filming, and it was free show. There's like a little sequence at the start. But what I noticed that you had, I think probably into the hundreds of DVDs, autobiographies, and biographies of mm. famous comedians. Like you're a student of the craft. I know it sounds a bit wanky, but you really you know the history of of this business like probably nobody else really apart from yeah. Bob Monkhouse but <laughs> you've, you've you've kind of absorbed advice and, and, and performances from those DVDs um, do, do you consciously do that or do you just let sort of other people's really. stories sort of seep in because ever since like I, I did magic when I was a kid then but when I was about 14 when I stopped doing that I I just I enjoyed doing comedy so I, I just thought right I've got a if I want to do this I've got to just learn as much as possible. I started with Lee Evans and then I just kind of went went back Markham Wise and stuff and watched stuff my dad used to watch and stuff um, and then just every type of comic I could find I wanted to see different types of styles and just I think just watch, watching anything that you love if you love like a job you, you want to know everything the ins and outs of it so I just wanted to know every, things I didn't want to say things I didn't want to do and some of my favourite comics are people, the type of comedy I won't be able to do, like Jim Jeffries, who's a brilliant Australian comic, I could never do the material he does, but I like watching that because I can admire the different styles and the different approaches that it takes. Um, and I, I kind of became enthralled in it because I wanted to know how to write stuff. And I realised that I'm not really a writer, I kind of just come up with things better organically. Um, but I had to really delve into everything to discover that about myself, yeah. We've got a few minutes left. Any questions from the audience? Any, any things you want to ask Jack? Yeah. So the question is, would you ever do an, a reality TV show, something like Britain's Got Talent? Um, no, I wouldn't. Um, I've had meetings, like everyone's had meetings, haven't they? But, um, I've had meetings with them, and I just don't think it's... I think it's a big risk. Like, I, I don't have anything against uh, anyone who does it. Some friends of Mickey who was on tonight, he's done it. Um, it can be brilliant for you. It can give you a brilliant boost. I just think at the stage I am in my career, I think it's a massive risk because I think if I go on there, do all my material, and it don't go well, no one's going to book you anymore. Whereas if you've been doing comedy for 20 years, you go on it, it don't go well, people are still going to carry on booking yet. Whereas I, I'd, I'd rather get to where I want to do just by working hard and getting there myself. Hmm. Um, I don't really want to go through the, the camera coming up to me in the auditions and I have to come up with a story why I'm there and stuff. I don't, like, that seems disingenuous to me. I just want to go on stage and be the character I am on stage and do that type of thing. I think reality TV is good if you're a certain type of comedian, but, yeah, it's not for me, really. Mm -hmm. 
Any other questions? So that's, that's my friend, Mr. Dan Sproitz, asking Jack, have you ever regretted getting anybody up on stage? Uh, yeah, a couple of times. So I, I, I'll do it tonight, but I'll do a bit where I get people out of the audience. And um, a few times that's gone wrong. Like people have thrown stuff at me really? and stormed off the stage. Uh, the other, about two months ago, a bloke got, grabbed the mic off me and slammed it on my chin. And God. like nearly knocked my bloody teeth out. And I'm like, I should just tell jokes and I should really get people out of the audience. Um, yeah, I, the reason I invited the audience up originally was because I wanted to get better. What well, was talking about the heckling thing, I wanted to get better thinking on my feet because mm. I think that's the trueness of comedy is when something happens in the room and no one can explain it to the friends the next day. You can tell them a joke, but if you go, well, what, that bloke said this and then they did that and then... That, I think that's the best type of comedy. Some of the best comedy I've seen is where it's unexplainable. So I wanted to kind of make that experience where everyone can go away from the gig and going, well, that won't happen again. That, that thing we saw will never happen again. Um, well, I hope someone's not going to hit me over the head with a microphone again. Um, but so do I. <laughs> we've got 20 minutes to the show. Who knows? <laughs> um, the same for, um, for theatre when things go wrong. The sort of atmosphere in the room changes and the audience know that they've seen something on, on that night that... It's not like watching a, like a DVD or, or a bit of TV where everything's kind of, um, sort of sanitised and edited and stuff. You, you see someone in that room, they're two you know, human beings there, and you'll never see that again. I think that's, that's really interesting. Well, just before we finish, just, just give the audience and the listeners to the podcast the details about the show. Tell us where it is and when it's going to be on at Edinburgh. Uh, well, it's, so, do you want me to talk about what the show is? Yeah, please. Oh, uh, so it's called Mr. Saturday Night. It's kind of about... Um, I've gone into, like, plug mode now. That's all right. Um, <laughs> it's about my life and how I, got, how I became a comedian. And then it, it's the four things it takes to become, like, a Saturday Night Entertainer. Uh, and the, the looking at Saturday Night Entertainers from the past uh, and kind of well, weaving that into the story and how they got to where they were and how I want to do that with my comedy now. Uh, it's on at the Pleasance Courtyard in Edinburgh at 5.45. Um, but since this is Hull, it's on at the 1st of November at Hull Truck. Tickets are £14 and available shortly. Fantastic. Um, let's have a big round of applause for Mr Jack Gledo. <laughs> Thanks, man. How about that, eh? Podcast live. Massive thanks to Adam Pownell and everyone at Hull Truck for letting us do that. Um, really enjoyed it. Hopefully we can uh, do a few more. And thank you to Jess and Alice from She Productions. Get yourself up to Beverly if you can. They've got a brilliant offering for SheFest. And just before I go, I just want to say break a leg to all the whole companies and individuals who are heading to the Edinburgh Festival and Fringe this August. To, of course, Jack Gladeau and Lucy Beaumont. To the Cagouls. To the Herd. To the Roaring Girls. To Middlechild. And to Just Club Theatre. I hope you all absolutely smash it up in Scotland. And of course, thank you to you for giving us your time and listening to this, the 10th podcast. There are loads more brilliant people we're going to speak to in uh, episodes to come. So please come back and have a listen to the people who make Hull what it is. Until next time, all the best and take care.